Welcome back to the NatMathSci podcast, brought to you by the National Mathematics and Science College. This is the podcast to let you find out more about NatMathSci by hearing staff and students talking about their experiences, all unscripted and unplugged, so that you can hear what life is really like at the college. So today we're talking all about the pre-A course with none other than Zoe Hayward. I'm about to ask Zoe to explain what the pre-A is, who it's most appropriate for, and the difference it makes to those students. Zoe, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. The sun's shining here for a change today, which meant I could actually come on my motorbike this morning, which uh, is always a lovely, lovely time. I've got the builders outside working on the new student residence, so I apologise if they're being a little noisy. Okay, all good, all good. Tell us about the motorbike. I I didn't realise you're into motorbikes. This is fantastic. (laughs) Yes, I have a Yamaha MT-09 SP, which I enjoy riding all over the English countryside every weekend. Generally speaking, most people that ride motorbikes tend to be men. Do you quite enjoy being a woman and riding a motorbike? Yes, I think it's uh, it's always fun when uh, when you outride the men. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've actually done a lot of extra training and at the moment I'm learning to be a trainer for the IAM. So I'm learning to teach other people advanced motorcycling. So IAM being Institute of Advanced Motorists. Institute Motoring. of Advanced Motorists. And the building work that's going on outside, tell us a little bit more about that. What is it that they're building? So they're building the new student residence and that'll be just for our students. So at the moment they have a couple of floors on a building on the other side of the college and the other half of that is shared with Warwick University. So there are some restrictions there to keep our students safe, whereas this is dedicated just for us. We'll have our own dining room. The students' bedrooms are over there. So it'll be much, much better for them coming this coming September. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds excellent. It really does. Now, Zoe, I'd love to understand a little, a little bit more about you. Tell us about your own educational journey. I mean, what part of the world did you grow up in? What was your own experience of school life like when you were younger? When I was younger, I actually quite enjoyed school, although I wasn't a huge fan of things like coursework. I was very much, I was very much more exam focused. I grew up in the northwest of England and I have a slightly different educational journey from most other teachers in that I only actually started doing my degree when I was 30. Wow. So tell us what you were doing up until that point then. Before then, oh, I'd worked in a range of jobs including being a manager at a security company, but it didn't provide the level of challenge that I wanted. So I put myself on an initial teacher training course, really enjoyed that, then started teaching and then actually started university where I did English language with a focus on linguistics. So that seems like a very different career path to have taken based on what you were doing beforehand. What prompted or not necessarily what prompted that change, but why change into education then? I'd always enjoyed the training aspect of my previous role, and I've always been fascinated by languages. I love language. That's my thing. And what was it about NatMat side that attracted you to the college then? When I saw the advert for the job, I read it and thought, that sounds absolutely perfect. It's the right age of students that I really enjoy teaching. So I love working with teenagers, especially slightly older teenagers. They're curious about the world. They're just a brilliant group of people to work with. Also, 
it was, I'd come from the British Council in Vietnam and I was looking for obviously something in the same field, but a little more specialised. Gosh, so Vietnam, what was it that took you out there in the first place? Work. Okay. I've worked in, oh, let me think, Poland, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, the Azores and Vietnam before here. <laughs> Gosh, there's a real mix there. Out of those five different countries, which would you say was the favourite? Different ones for different reasons. And you tend to pick up the language in each country as well? Uh, I did all right with Polish, Slovak and Czech, although I confused them in my head, mm-hmm. and Portuguese, but Vietnamese was a complete mystery to me. I can order my lunch and get a taxi home. Oh, I'm quite impressed that you can go that far. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so tell us then a little bit about the Pre-A course. What's it all about and why is it important for people to know about it? So the Pre-A course is designed for students who are not quite ready to start on an A-level programme. So it allows them the opportunity to explore the different A-levels that they could study here before making a decision to go into year one. Uh, It's for students who are maybe slightly weaker in, for example, English, or maybe aren't sure about what they want to do. And quite often they're slightly younger. Mm -hmm. So they want to get that final year before starting A-levels to explore what they're doing, really. So when does the pre-A course actually happen in in the academic year then? So it runs alongside the normal A-level programme. So from September through till the very end of June, start of July, it's the same same holidays, same term times as the year one and year two students. So do people do the pre-A course and then do year one or do they do it at the same time as doing year one? No, the pre-A course is a standalone course which helps prepare them to enter year one the following year. Okay, so it's like an additional year which happens before year one starts for A-level then? Yeah, so in the UK it would be the equivalent of year 11. Yeah, I see, I see. Okay, tell us then a little bit more about the kind of students that that take the pre-A course option. Uh, There is no typical pre-A student. They're all very different. They've come from different educational backgrounds. Uh, The one thing they all have in common is that they really do have a desire to learn and to do well. And they're interested in exploring what the college has to offer them before they make their A-level choices. They come from all areas of the world and they're generally a lovely, lovely bunch. And what changes and differences do you see in the students at the start of the academic year when they're taking the pre-A course option compared to seeing them in July at the end of that first academic year that they spent at Natmatsai? Well, you definitely see a level of the level of maturity increase obviously they're living in a different country so they've become a lot more independent some of them stay in the residence some of them stay in homestay but the common theme for all of them is that you watch them grow as a person and become far more independent and far more challenging about the world in what way do you mean challenging about the world then they seem to broaden their perspectives on world affairs because it's an international situation they have more than one opinion they know that they can learn from each other and that other 
countries, other people might have a different way of doing things. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that it's different. And actually, they might find that they think, actually, I'll do that one. And then when students are taking the pre-A course option, is, is that something that they have to start in September or can they join it during the academic year? No, they can, uh, they can start almost any time during the academic year. Obviously, it's preferable if they start in September so they don't miss any of it. So, for example, both this academic year and last year, I think I started with five in pre-A and by the end of the year it had grown to 10 or 11. So people do join within the year. And tell us what a typical week would look like then for a student doing the pre-A. So for a pre-A student, they study all the subjects that the college has to offer, unlike in year one where they focus on four subjects. This is to give them a taste of everything that they can do in year one to help them make an informed decision. They have the same college day as all the other students. They don't have free periods like you can in year one and year two because they're focusing more on getting a rounded education. So they've got maths lessons, English lessons every day. They study three sciences, computer science, economics. So they have six periods a day and generally five of these are academic. The other one could be, for example, time spent with their tutor, being me, or in societies or any other type of activity. I see. So this kind of system is one that I've never heard of before. And I imagine that some of the people listening to this podcast episode right now, they may not have heard of it either. Clearly, for the students that take it, it's an important thing for them because they've chosen it. Do you think that it's something that should be rolled out across you know, schools all across the UK? I think certainly for students who haven't come through the UK system, it's very, very valuable. So students who have come from different areas of the world obviously have different experiences of education and a lot of them don't know what to expect and what's expected of them. So I think that the pre-A programme really helps develop the skills for them embarking on their A-level choices. And then when students come to the end of that academic year, are they usually very clear about what they want to do and kind of more importantly, what they don't want to do as well? Oh, yes. They've, uh, I've been having conversations recently with my tutees and they're firming up their choices. Whereas when I asked them, for example, in January, a lot of them were still a bit undecided, but they've really started to nail it down now. Obviously, them being able to speak to year one students really helps because the college all mixes together. There's no segregation of the years or anything. So that really helps them as well. So they can certainly make a more informed decision. And by this time, they're pretty much decided on what they'd like to do. And do they ever find that throughout the year, maybe they get to December, January, they, they recognise that there are some that they really think they will want to be doing the following year and others that they really don't want to be doing the following academic year. And frankly, they, they don't really want to carry on doing them now. I mean, what happens in that situation? It does happen, although... I find that more often they actually change their minds. So they come in with one idea and experience what learning that subject is going to be like, especially if it's a subject that they haven't done before. For example, if they haven't done computer science or economics and they come in with a preconceived idea, 
and say, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. No, it's useless to me. And then get halfway through the year and go, actually, I'm quite enjoying this. And sometimes the opposite happens where they come in. Oh, yes, I, I'm I'm here to study this. I'm going to do these subjects. And then we get halfway through the year and they say, actually, I've changed my mind about that. Maybe this one would be better because I'm really enjoying the I'm really enjoying the teaching in that. And I'm really enjoying what I'm learning. What do you find are some of the biggest influences on the decisions that students make when they're choosing their A-levels? Is it, you know, something that their parents have said or or slightly worryingly when their parents are trying to channel uh, their, their children down a certain direction because maybe they're trying, the, par- the parents are trying to fulfil their own dreams and ambitions through their children? Or is it things that, that students see on television or is it things that... Um, students see their their friends doing in different countries and in the UK what what do you find to be the main sort of influences I think it's a mix of different influences so for some students yes their parents are trying to push them towards doing certain subjects although if a student is really unhappy doing that then the college will work with the parents to try to help them understand that that might not actually be the best choice for their child Uh, Other influences come from some of the older students. So they'll discuss what type of things they're learning in the class, in that course. So that can really help them because they get a very good understanding of what they're going to do. So that's a big driver. Also, things like their aspirations for the future and looking at what they'll need to do in order to accomplish that goal. Zoe, quick question. If you were back being a 16-year-old again and you were choosing which A-levels to do, What do you think you would be choosing? I love language. So I did languages. However, I would probably also have gone with English language because I didn't actually do English language at A-level, although obviously that was my degree. So yeah, I'd probably stick with languages, but maybe add English language in there as well. And of course, you know, a subject like computer science or, or, you know, coding is, I imagine, has changed very much since the days when you and I were at school. Is that something which might which might feature on your radar? Because, you know, I'm just looking at the at the need for, you know, an understanding of that that kind of subject. Here we are in 2022. Uh, Yes, very much so. When I was at school, I remember there were eight of us sat around a BBC green screen computer for an hour and we practiced putting a floppy disk in the machine. So (laughs) that was my experience of computers at school. Whereas now with everything being online, it's vitally important that students know how it works. Mm. So that's it's more of a life skill rather than an academic skill. And is that something that you might be tempted to have studied if you were if you were transported in your youth into into the future, into the year 2022? Do you think that's a subject that you might be tempted to look at or do you think it would still be languages that you love so much? Oh, I'd definitely still be sticking with languages, although there'd be more opportunity to use technology within the study of language. So I'm particularly interested in phonetics and phonology and computers are so important in studying that field. Without it, there's very little analysis that you can do. You just have to rely on your ears. 
And that's not always the best plan. No, no, no. I can well believe. I can well believe. Okay, let's just jump back to back to pre-A for a moment then. Tell us what happens at the end of the whole pre-A course. You know, when students get to the end of that academic year, do they need to decide on the A-levels that they're choosing at that point? Or do they, do they wait until the summer vacation? What actually happens there? So from about this point, so during the last term in the uh, summer term, then the students are sort of finalising their decisions, but they don't have to stick to what they've decided. So come September, they have a very good idea, although it happens that students change their mind a few weeks in, and that isn't an issue at all. But as long as they've got a very good idea about the majority of the courses they want to do. Also, in the final term, they take external exams in maths and English. And it's great to see then that the students end up being quite transformed, it sounds like, from the start of that academic year to the end of it. Very much so. Um, Zoe, we need to bring this podcast episode to an end in a moment, but tell us a little bit about what you plan on doing in the summertime. Uh, I'm wondering whether you have any plans to take that bike of yours uh, on some kind of road trip at all. Oh, this summer, I definitely, definitely would like to get out on my bike as much as possible. Possibly a trip to France. I've ridden in France before. It was a fantastic experience. And I've also got, I have no idea why I've signed up for it. I've got a track day coming. Oh, okay. I've never ridden on track before. So that'll be exciting, although a little terrifying. (laughs) And where are you doing that? Which track is it? Uh, I believe it's Mallory Park. Yeah, uh, it's a great place. I went there a few years ago. You'll have a great time there. I can guarantee it. Yeah. (laughs) Zoe, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for being here and explaining about the pre-A course, about how it works and about why it's beneficial for some of the students that come along to NatMat's side. But in particular, I just want to say thank you for giving up your time here on a Thursday morning. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Zoe Hayward talking all about the pre-A course at NatMat's side. Thank you, Zoe, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Really good to talk to you. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.